um, the last time we were talking about the the promise, most of the time I think we spent talking about the promise and the and the various aspects of the promise of the promises. It's really one thing, but has several aspects to it. It's one eternal purpose in Christ. It's one one reality of a people joined to Christ in a particular relationship that has particular realities to it. But there's there's um, when you talk about the promises of God, there are many promises uh, that that are all parts of the same the same thing. And and that that thing is is the the, the well, I was going to say the relationship that we have with God in Christ, but sometimes I hesitate to use just even even that word seems to be um, so easily. I mean, it's absolutely true that we have a relationship with God in Christ. That's obviously true, but there's a very specific relationship of a very specific nature of a relationship that involves very specific realities eternal spiritual realities in Christ and and so when the when the when the uh when God spoke to the fathers or the prophets about the about the promises of God it was it included a multitude of different you could say uh, angles from which God was seeing or describing um these promises. So we looked at a few of those from the life of, of Abraham, all having to do, of course, with the increase of the seed. There's nothing that we experience. There's not a single aspect of the promises of God that we can claim hold, take hold of and claim in the Adamic man. There's nothing. The only thing that God promises, God made one promise to the Adamic man, and that is, you shall surely die. And that's really all you can count on <laughs> from in Adam. In Christ, there's a whole multitude of incredible uh, promises that are fulfilled in him, and and yet not any of them can be separated from the person who is the promise. The increase uh, of, of the kingdom of God, you cannot separate that from the person whose increase it is. The victory, it's not some private, personal, Adamic victory over your grumpy neighbor. It is a victory over sin and death that you will only experience connected to the increase of Christ. Um, you know, the, the harvest of the fruit of his nature, his spirit, all these things. Just like as they were promised to Abraham, they were all tied to the increase of the seed. And, and it, th- therefore, in our experience, they're all tied to the increase of the seed as well except in, in spirit and truth now instead of type and shadow. Um, so we talked about that last time. And then, you know, this chapter, uh, let's see, we, we've been kind of in Genesis 17, uh, 18. Let me see how far do we get here. Yeah, you know, and 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 I was about to, I have notes here too on, on um, the circumcision that becomes uh, a, starts to become a very big deal here in Genesis 17 and, and, and is a big deal all throughout the rest of the Bible. Again, uh, for a time, it's a circumcision for, you know, for, under the Old Covenant. It's a, it's a removal of the flesh, the shedding of blood to enter into covenant with God in a natural way. Um, in the New Covenant, we'll look at this more next week. I think I'm going to skip over this for now and focus on something else. But to enter into covenant with God now, it is a is it is a removal of the flesh, shedding of blood, and entering into relationship with God, in in Colossians two twenty or two twelve, no two eleven, 
the uh, the circumcision made without hands, the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. But yeah, I was I was looking over my notes for that, and then out. But I was also thinking about how I didn't say a whole lot yet about something that I call the overlap, and and for lack of a better, um, for lack of a better word, it's because because I guess that word is okay, and I have this diagram put up here um, that I'll be talking about in a little bit, and. I, there's there's a lot of ways that the word overlap can be misunderstood, and so um, I'm going to explain all that. But the first real place you see this reality that I call the overlap is in Isaac and and in Ishmael, and I had to decide where I was going to cover this, where I was going to you know stick it in here, and um, there's not one particular place where it seems to be better than the other. We could have talked about it when we got to. Egypt and and the wilderness and the promised land. We could have talked about it when we got to Saul and David. We could have talked about it when we got to the end of the Old Testament. We could have talked about it in a number of different places. But it's something that I, I feel like in my in my heart, it's something that's really made a lot of sense out of a lot of things, not just in the Bible, but in my own experience of knowing Christ. And so I I kind of felt like I'd take most of tonight. I'm not sure how long it'll take. Maybe it'll take the whole night to talk about uh to not to talk about this reality. Um, what you see here, one of the things that you'll, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about this pattern and and in the, and in the, uh, the diagram here, you'll see the first, um, comes up to the cross. There's a, there's a, a judgment, uh, an established judgment there at the cross. And then there's this, this little chunk that's both green and blue in this diagram, um, where the, where the green is getting smaller and the blue is getting bigger. And then there's this second line, and I'm going to explain all that later. But and then and then the blue is the second, the green is the first. Okay, and this is something. This is a pattern. It's a pattern that repeats itself throughout the Old Testament. That you see, it's it's amazing. And these aren't the only times. Those the things in the colors underneath the underneath the diagram. Those words that are in color, different colors. Those aren't the only. Um, pictures of this overlap in the Old Testament by any by any means, but they're ones that are uh, clear and obvious and deserve some some attention. Um, and, and as always, the true fulfillment of this pattern is a spiritual reality in Christ. Every and I just I'm, I'm gonna say this again because it just it warrants being said. Everything that God has promised is fulfilled in Christ and as Christ. It's not fulfilled in the earth, nor is it fulfilled in natural time or in natural bodies. It doesn't, if you can see a little bit uh, from, from, from some spiritual perspective, I think that's one of the things that the Lord just slaps you with so hard that it's, you'll never... You'll never doubt it again when you begin to see that. It's impossible. God has seen from the... Before there was anything natural, God has seen a spiritual and eternal reality made perfect in His Son. His Son, of course, being the nature, substance, person, source, and life of it. And therefore, when God thinks of the word fulfillment... Now, see, I say this because Christians are all looking at in, in event natural events for fulfillment. And though there can be manifestation 
of fulfillment in natural events, things that get expressed in external physical ways. The fulfillment itself is always an eternal, timeless spiritual reality. You're not going to miss it if you slept in that day, you know. You're not going to miss the fulfillment of some promise because you took a nap in the natural realm for natural time. It doesn't, it's not fulfilled in time. And uh, so... I, you know, I say that like a broken record, but I just, I just hear, I bump into it all the time. Like people say, like, when do you think this was fulfilled? When, like, or when do you think this will be fulfilled? And I just want to say, no, 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 that's not. You can never say when. You can say what or who or, or in whom or in what way was this fulfilled in Christ? But you never, even the, even, even the coming of Christ, the, 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 the arrival of the Messiah. It, it had a manifestation in, in time and, and space. It, 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 you know, 33 years, the man himself walked on the earth. But that coming, the, the way that God foresaw the coming of his son to live and dwell and tabernacle among us is, is, was not truly fulfilled in the heart of God when the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man, walked among a natural people for a natural period of time. It's fulfilled in the one who dwells in our midst. Okay, so little review there of why we're talking about types and shadows because they testify not of, not primarily of events, although there always are contextual events involved as part of the picture. But they don't testify primarily of events, future or past events. Future and past events can can testify or make manifest something that's eternally and spiritually real, but they'll never, ever be the substance of what God desires or what God understands fulfillment to be. So I say all that because this this pattern, this overlap pattern that we're looking at tonight here in the diagram is something that you're going to... It, it's not something I want you guys to study in these stories and then try to like map it out in some kind of a Bible code and memorize it. It's something that you need to see here because you're going to experience it. And most of you, if not all of you, probably already are. You're going to see it and experience it in your own soul. And that's why it's important. You're going to experience it as a reality of Christ in your own soul. And that's why it's important and where it's important and where you're going to find the fulfillment of it. You'll never find the fulfillment of it on the pages of the Bible. The Bible describes the fulfillment of it. Okay, You can't read this verse, like a verse in the New Testament, and say, oh, look, that verse fulfills this verse. No, it doesn't. That verse describes the fulfillment that you're, you have to experience in your own soul. And I, I, don't know, I kind of have a... I, have, I just kind of get excited about that whole reality because it's just so... Uh, it seems to me to be so misunderstood in so many, um, so many hearts of believers. Um, okay, so what we see in the story of Isaac and Ishmael. For those that just joined us, we're we're just talking about. Uh, I'm taking another whack at this Isaac and Ishmael story, but specifically focusing on something I call the first and the second. And honestly, and I'm not going to say much about this, at least not for the recording, but. This very this thing will also, I think, help you understand a lot of the eschatological passages in the New Testament too, in in a right way, in a, in a way that doesn't put off things uh, that are present realities in Christ, and in a way that makes sense of a lot of scriptures and a lot of language. But, um, what you see in this story is that there was this first son named Ishmael, okay, and 
And and for a while, Ishmael was the only son that Abraham recognized. The only, the, in fact, he, he thought he was the son of promise. He thought he was the thing that God was putting His seal on. That God was um, calling by His own name and fulfilling all the promises in that one son, the first son, Ishmael. And then uh, there was also this time period where along comes the second son, and. And for a brief time, the first and the second live together in the same house. Okay, They're both in the house of Abraham. There's a time of overlap. Now, there was never, this is so key, there was never an overlap in God's understanding of who the real son was. In fact, the overlap really between the first and the second was only in Abraham's confusion. So as soon as you see this first line in our diagram, which I drew as a cross, God, as soon as Ishmael was born, the second came around, the blue started here, okay? As soon as the blue came, which is the second, which is Isaac in our story, God had established the thing. He never recognized Ishmael as the true son. Only Abraham and Sarah did, you know? Well, maybe not even Sarah. I don't even know if she was on board with that idea. Um, she came up with the idea, but she seemed, sounds like she pretty, pretty soon didn't, didn't really like it. But um, my my point is that there's a first son, and then all of a sudden the second son, the second son comes, and for a time period, a short period or a long period, it, it, in many in many stories it's a forty year period. In this story, it's not. It's a I don't know. It doesn't say how long it is. A few years maybe. But uh, it's a period where there's two sons in the in the same house, both thinking that they're the son of promise, both thinking that they have the true relationship with the Father, the true inheritance, and are, are, are recipients of the, of the promises of God. And during this time, the first actually persecutes the second in one way or another. In this particular story, it just the first you know, mocks the, or, or teases or whatever it says. It, you know, Ishmael teased Isaac or, or mocked him or, or something. And... and um, and so then there's this other line, this dotted line that I put here, where God intervenes, or, or the action, or the, or you could say, there's so many ways you could say it. You could say that God revealed the true son and put away the, the wrong son, or you could say that God intervenes to put away the first and establish the second. And, um, and the, the, the first is manifest as having no inheritance, as not being the true son, as not being the one who inherits what the father has. And the second is manifest. In other words, there's an open declaration or op open exhibition of the fact that the second is the one that's, that's accepted, okay? So, um, and, and, that, and in this particular story, it's interesting because God says to Abraham like three times, I think, at least three times, he refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son. Like when he says, take your son, your one and only son, to the mountain that I will show you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. God, from his perspective, he never, he doesn't even really recognize the first. He recognizes the second. He knows only the second, and he relates to Abraham according to that second. Even when Abraham says, that's why I have here, if you look at the diagram, in the, I'll get to death, burial, and resurrection later, but skip down to the second one where it says, Ishmael 
and in the middle, and on the other side it says Isaac, and in the middle it says, oh, that Ishmael. Because, because Abraham cries out here, and it's not right here in Genesis 17, it's a little bit later, but I just, I had to put this in somewhere, so I decided to start, uh, start talking, or talk about this right now while we're talking about the, kind of the, the beginning of Abraham and Isaac and, and Ishmael, but there's a time period where God is still talking to Abraham about a promised son, about the, what the true son that will come forth from faith, that will come forth from a dead womb, that will come forth from promise. And, and, and Abraham has this thing that comes out of his heart that represents everything in our heart too. And he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, why, what's wrong with the first? Why can't he, why can't he be the accepted son? What? You know, it's this cry that wants to hold on to the first and, and think that the first is good enough and, and have God accept something that he doesn't even really recognize as being the thing that he's always wanted. All right, so that comes out, that, that bubbles up out of uh, Abraham's misunderstanding. And, and from God's point of view, he, in a sense, it's kind of like, who, who's Ishmael? You know, I didn't create Ishmael. And Ishmael is not... At best, Ishmael is a is a picture of the one who you know a type and shadow of of the one that I saw, which is Isaac in this story. All right, so what is this a picture of here? This is a picture of the well. Before I say that, let me say this: the fulfillment of this reality has to do with the fact that there is, we've talked about the first and the second a lot. The first man, the first creation, the first covenant, second, new, new creation, new covenant, new man in Christ. There's a, there's a, there's a line, there's a, there's a reality wherein God takes away the first, settles the issue, chooses the true son. That happened at the cross, okay? And the overlap between the two does not exist in God's mind. Just like God was never confused about whether it was Isaac or Ishmael. Just like God never really even recognized Ishmael as being the thing he was talking about. Just like God said, take your son, your one and only son, to the mountain, and, and spoke as if Ishmael wasn't even, wasn't even in view. In the same way, this I don't want you to think that this overlap exists in God's mind. It exists in Abraham's mind, where he said, "Oh, that Ishmael might live before you." It, it exists. It existed in in Israel's mind, where they were confused whether Saul and David were the king. It existed in Egypt. I mean, in in the wilderness, where where there was an overlap uh, in the mind of in the unrenewed mind of the people that didn't know where they were, what they'd come out of, or what they'd come into. But but in, in a very real sense, this overlap doesn't really exist to God at all. It exists in us because we don't see as God sees. The overlap, it, it, it only exists to the ones who are in their heart making the transition between the first and the second. But the, the actual transition itself is an immediate work of the cross. It's like when God, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I, it just, a verse came to my mind where God tells Moses that the whole thing, the whole exodus, the whole journey uh, out uh, uh, of Israel going, going out and 
And uh, leaving Egypt behind was a three-day process, death, burial, and resurrection, you know. Tell, tell Pharaoh we want to take him out three days. You know, he wasn't teasing Pharaoh. He wasn't, he wasn't lying. It, from God's perspective, it was a three-day journey. And then after that, there's nothing left of Egypt. And there, and there wasn't. But see, it was a 40-year journey for many. And even with that, it wasn't even a true transition of the heart. So, um, okay, so, the, 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 I, I want to say this again. There's the, the first line in this diagram is the finished work of the cross. The overlap period is not a reality to God. It's our transition. It's our journey f to make the transition from what we see to what God sees, from our perspective to his perspective. It exists in it doesn't exist in God's eyes. It exists in us because we don't see with God's eyes or to the measure that see that's why and you could put man I'm just I'm jumping all over the place. But you could see that the angle of that line there that diagonal line is really the way I think it'd be best for me to draw the Jordan River because in a real sense, Joshua and Caleb, they didn't have a problem crossing right over the Jordan River. They they began to see from God's perspective by faith right away. And 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 for them, the wilderness wasn't even real. I mean, I mean it, it, obviously in natural time and space, they experienced it, but when they crossed over, it was like they were just as young and just as strong as when they left Egypt because... Because they were seeing with God's perspective, they they didn't really. It's almost like they didn't really even live in the wilderness with the rest of them, because the wilderness was a state of heart that refused to pass out of the first and live in the second. Okay, so then there's this second line. Okay, and the second line is the end of the overlap so to speak it's the it's where god makes an outward manifestation of what he has already finished in the first line he takes away the remnants of the first which in in our story of Joshua i mean of uh, Ishmael and Isaac in this story that has to do with him intervening and suddenly you know saying to Abraham listen to your wife take away the first and establish a second send the first away with her mother send the slave woman the woman of you know represents worked uh, a work of the flesh uh, not turning and waiting on the promise of God uh, a womb that was alive out from which a false seed came instead of the dead womb out from which the true seed came put that away and then and send it out of my sight and then he, and then he begins to speak solely well, he always has spoken solely of Isaac in fact God never really spoke about Ishmael except you know uh at, at kind of as a concession at the end to bless him because he ended up being a picture of natural Israel that's another Ishmael in the flesh kind of came to represent natural Israel in the flesh and Isaac the son of promise the son of spirit came to represent spiritual Israel. Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 4. That's why I believe Ishmael this is a side note. If it doesn't make sense just ignore it. But that's why I believe God said that he would make Ishmael into a great nation of 12 tribes just like the just like the uh, sons of Israel actually became 12 tribes but they were not the, the natural Israel it was never the true heir of the promise. But um, okay so this, I'm going to give some more examples of this overlap, and I'm going to talk more about the diagram in a second, but let me first bring this into some sort of a, of a fulfillment in us. This is our experience of Christ, okay? These histories, these stories here, 
correspond to the experience of Christ in our soul. We have in ourselves, in fact, we're born by nature, we are the first man, the rejected man, the man that thinks, the man that assumes that he is the heir of God's promise, the man that assumes and thinks that he has a true relationship with God and he does not. And 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 that's what Adam does. That's what you know. That's what Ish, that's what you know. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you represents. That's what Ishmael is. He's he's the wrong man trying to have the right relationship with God, and it never works. And that's really what religion is, guys. Every religion in the world has this one thing in common: the idea that God is relating to the first man, the man that he has actually rejected. That's what Christianity is when we don't see the right man too. That's what. You know, that's what living your best life for Jesus or getting your best life from Jesus or doing it what you can for Jesus. That's all Ishmael religion. It's the idea that God has accepted the man that he has actually rejected. That's our heart crying out with Ishmael, with Abraham, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And it's, it's not true. But that's how we start. We start with one man. And, and in fact, we don't just start with him. We are that one man, okay? It's really stronger than... You can't just think about me having Adamic issues. I'm Adam by nature. And we're always trying to invent... A re- and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I stress that word invent because it's complete fiction. We're always trying to invent a relationship between, between the wrong man and God. And this man is enmity... With God, this man, you know, there's so many verses we could whip out of the New Testament right now. I mean, Paul says, "In the flesh, it is impossible to please God." Um, you could say the same. It, it, it was impossible. Ishmael didn't do something wrong. He was something wrong. It's impossible. He just wasn't the son that came out from a dead womb. He wasn't the son of promise. He wasn't the son of faith. He wasn't. He wasn't any of those things. It wasn't like he, he messed up and got disqualified. He, he he was disqualified by birth. It's like Paul. It's like uh, Paul. David says, and I think it's Psalm fifty-one. In sin, my mother conceived me. How do you get out of that problem? Well, you're the wrong man. And so Ishmael or Adam cannot do the will of God. He can't even know. Paul says it even stronger. He can't even know the will of God. He's so contrary to God, so contrary to the to the true Son, that uh, that that God, when God talks about his his joy and his fulfillment and his desire and his sacrifice and all the things that are pleasing to him. He just says the same thing that he said about Isaac. Take my one son, my only son. You know, he doesn't even recognize that, that, that Adamic, Ishmaelic, Ishmaelian man. Making up some words here. However, when we are born again, immediately, now this is the first line in the diagram, immediately there is another son present in us. And immediately, this is the cool part, I mean for us, even though it sound, it, it, we struggle with it, but it's really the, 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 the good news. Immediately God recognizes the second son as our life. You know, he, he, he recognizes us, as it says in um, uh, Galatians 2, 27, 28, 29, we were baptized into Christ and clothed with Christ, and therefore we're heirs with Christ in, the, in, in all things. So we're totally covered, filled with, dunked into uh, this, this life that is acceptable to God. 
and uh, and and we're, we're completely in so many ways identify with him. So now there's this new son, this new life that that is the will of the Father, that does the will of the Father, okay? That receives the promises of the Father, that receives everything that the Father promised in the inheritance. He's living in us, and yet there is this overlap. Now again, just like in the pictures. Just like the story, and we're going to see this again with David and Saul. We're going to see this with Israel and, and Egypt. We're going to see this in 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 the new and the old Israel in in the times between uh, uh, 30 A.D. and 70 A.D. We're going to see this working in your own heart. Just like God never really, just as soon as as Ish or Isaac was born, he to God was the only son, the only one. That's how God sees his finished work of the cross. This overlap does not exist to God. It exists to you. Okay, I'm saying it again. I know I'm saying it a lot of times. I'm just I just wanted to it's not because there are really two sons. It's because in the heart and mind of man we don't yet know the son that is the accepted beloved son and and we're still See, we're, we're trying to still relate to God based on the life that we recognize. It's, see, it's the exact same thing to David. And I'm jumping ahead. I'll, I'll get to this in more detail in a little bit. But see, David had to be revealed in Israel. He was established as God's king, anointed with a full horn of oil, totally given to Israel as their king. No questions in the mind of God. In fact, before he even anointed David as king, he ripped the kingdom away from, uh, from Saul tore it away from him. And Samuel says, this day the Lord your God... Remember, he grabs onto Samuel's garment and rips it, and Samuel turns and says, as you have ripped my garment, so the Lord has ripped the kingdom away from you and given it to one who has a heart after God. And and so, okay. But Israel needed to recognize their king. Well, it's the same thing in the new Israel, in your soul. You receive a life, a man, that God is now immediately relating to. And relating to you in that man, clothed with that man, baptized into that man, and made alive and raised up in that man. And yet, there's this overlap. Not not, not an overlap that God recognizes. And that's why sometimes I say, and this may be confusing, but maybe I'll say a little more about it later. The desert, the wilderness, it didn't really exist to God. Not really. It, it, it existed... Because they didn't know God, it existed to the, it was their experience. It was their journey of of making a transition that for God was accomplished in three days, three days. That's the only journey that God recognized. That's the journey He described to Moses in Exodus three. That's the journey that Moses told to Pharaoh in Exodus four. That's the only journey that ever happened from God's perspective. Death, burial, and resurrection. The journey was over. And then the rest of the time, the rest of the journey, just like, remember when we said Abraham? And uh, I think it was uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. God says, Abraham, get out from your country, kindred, and father's house. And then it says in like the last third of that verse, and he went, he, he left, and he went in, and he arrived in the land of Canaan. And the rest of this, this journey of Abraham that fills up chapters of, of Genesis has to do with Abraham learning to live in and abide in and stay in that land. But the journey was over as soon as it started. I mean, in, in that scripture, it's all right there in one little verse. He left, he got there. You know? 
Same thing right here. Uh, God recognizes a new son. And the overlap exists in us because of lack of light. Because we don't know, not because there's a lack of the finished work, but because we are not walking in the truth, because we are not walking in the light and experiencing this reality. Therefore, the first has been put away, replaced, rejected. Okay, that's the first line in this diagram here. And yet, the first, in the, for, for a time period in your heart, we experience two, there's not two sons, but we experience two sons, and the first is still trying to be the heir. The first is still trying to claim a relationship with God. The first is still trying to know the Father, and it's happening in you. And in fact, worse than that, the first is persecuting the second. You have to realize about this about your flesh. Your flesh is the Saul that is trying to kill the David in the land and can't kill him. Your flesh, you, your old man, that the nature of sin that works in your members, which isn't really you, but it's, I don't know how to describe that very well. Romans 7, you know, it's not me, but sin that works in my members. It's not the me that God recognizes, but it's there. It's the, it's the darkness of the unrenewed mind. It's, it's Saul who keeps running after David and then about to kill him. And then David manifests his right to be king. And Saul cries for a couple of minutes and says, I know you're the king. You're the, you're the right one. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a moron. I'm a dead flea or whatever he says. Maybe that's what David said that. But anyway, he says a bunch of disparaging stuff about himself. And then three days later, it says he rises up, grabs 3,000 men and goes after David again. That's you. That's you trying to fight against the sun that has a right to reign in your soul. Okay, so that exists in us. Again, not because God's confused about the true king of your soul, the true son, the true identity, the true life, the true everything that he has given you in Christ, but because of lack of light. And therefore, we experience... Now, now, now there's a whole thing in, 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 Christ, in Christian... And I, I don't mean to be picking on... Christianity. I mean, I know there's a whole bunch of millions of precious brothers and sisters that walk in, in and I, I'm one of them that walks in darkness. So I'm not, not trying to like, uh, you know, make two camps here. I'm just trying to say that so many of us have, rather than trying to know the king that God does see, have continued to cry out in our hearts, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And we've created this whole false religious thing that gives Ishmael a place in the house. That teaches Ishmael how to act better. That teaches Ishmael how to sing songs for Jesus. That teaches Ishmael how to behave better. I mean, that this teaches Ishmael how to act like Isaac, in, in according to our understanding. And that, that's just religion. And God doesn't recognize it. And I have a couple verses here. I'm I'm going really slow. Um, Galatians uh, chapter five. I I just um. Here you see, he says in verse 16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, or that you wish. Now, that's, a, that's something of this overlap. And yet it says in 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, a long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions 
excuse me, and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is something of the description of the second and the way that the second has to has to be established and manifested as in us, revealed, established as the only life that is real in us. This is also, I mean, we could get into Romans chapter 6 and 7, especially chapter 7, where Paul, Paul uh, talks about, in my opinion, his struggle, if you look at the diagram, his struggle trying to teach the green how to be the blue. You know, it's not in the flesh. It's not in, in that flesh, in that man, there is no good, there is no blue. And yet, uh, you know, and so he finds his law at work in his in his members and his flesh. That, you know, with the with the flesh he serves the law of sin, and yet with the renewed mind, the mind of Christ working in him, he he serves the the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In the light, there's no struggle. The struggle only exists in the absence of light in the darkness of our heart. Okay, so there's no overlap in God's mind. Old things have passed away. All things have become new, but the experience of the believer is that we don't want, we're just like Abraham, we're just like Israel that leaves Egypt, we're just like the land of Israel who recognizes Saul. We don't want the Lord to take away the first and establish the second, and therefore we have this overlap experience. Not an overlap time. It's not a specific time period that God sets apart. It's not a series of steps you have to follow. It's this thing that exists in our heart because we are making a journey of faith. Because we are growing in the light. Okay? So, Exodus. If you go to Exodus, the same story repeats itself. And in, in all these stories, you get some different, you know, there's different details that come into view. Uh, different aspects, but you can see in Exodus that that the journey that, that from God's point of view, um, Israel was was my son. Even my what came out of Egypt was Israel, my son, my firstborn, or as Jeremiah says, the first fruits of my increase. That's all. That's all. I think it's Jeremiah two calls Israel the first fruit when they came, when when you came out of Egypt, you were to me the first fruits of my increase, and. And and so here here comes this finished work. It, it's done. Got you know you paint the blood on the door. You 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 go into the to the blood and you eat the dead lamb and you come out in the morning and you can read in Genesis or in Deuteronomy chapter sixteen um, that as soon as they went into the into the land or into the, the the door that night, that's when they left Egypt. It doesn't exactly say it like that. Let me just go there real quick. Deuteronomy 6. It's really kind of a cool passage, though. It says, it says uh, Deuteronomy 16.5, You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. Now, we know that in the history... They didn't actually come out of Egypt until the next day, or maybe not even until a few days later when they actually crossed the Red Sea. But from God's perspective, at twilight, just as soon as they walked through the door, because that's what they did. Remember, they killed the lamb at twilight, painted the blood, and walked through the door. Boom, and they had to stay in the door, stay in their houses all night long. As soon as they entered that door, they were out of Egypt. So we have a finished work. And yet, 40 years later, Joshua chapter 5, 
God says, only when they enter into, by faith into the land and experience in their own person the circumcision of their flesh, only then, that day, God says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Israel from you. So one thing, as we can see again in this diagram, one thing is the finished work of God. It's a three-day transition, not a 40-year transition. It's a death, burial, and resurrection. It's a cross-centered transition. And yet, only when they bore in themselves that reality, only when they uh, circumcise their heart. It's another passage in Deuteronomy that it says, you know, if you want to experience the bounty of the land, circumcise your heart, O Israel. Um, I was just talking about that this morning in, in our Types and Shadows class here. Um, but, so, so, I want to make this really clear. You can put, I put Egypt up here, wilderness and promised land. The wilderness corresponds to their experience. And for many of them, it was a very, it was a very pathetic experience of not being willy, willing to bury in their heart what God had killed. That's why I also put death, burial, and resurrection here because death happened in Egypt. Resurrection is the life that God brought them into in Christ, pictured primarily in the uh, in, in the Promised Land, and and yet the wilderness was supposed to be a heart a heart's journey of burying, putting into the giving back to the earth, because that's where it belongs. The thing that came from the earth, you know, from dust you come to dust you will return, putting back in the earth, ending our relationship with putting out of our sight the. Um, the 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 thing that God had already crucified and 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 judged, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So the wilderness existed to them, and it and it existed to them. And, and, and the whole time they were there, God was pointing at and drawing them to, to to at least for the first two years, drawing them by the cloud, drawing them. The cloud was heading towards the promised land always and until until uh, numbers 14 when they refuse to go in and then you don't hear about the cloud for the next uh, 38 years but for the first two years god was parting their iniquity giving them types and shadows of christ and everything from the brazen serpent to the water out of the rock to the tabernacle and the high priest and the cloud and everything drawing them towards his view of who they were and what he brought them out for and uh in fact that's another verse right here in deuteronomy oh no it's in deuteronomy 6 I think it's first uh, Deuteronomy six, or is it somewhere around here? Um, I don't know where it is exactly, but somewhere in this chapter it says, "I brought you out in order to bring you in to the land." Oh, here it is, twenty-three. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us Deuteronomy six twenty-three to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. That's what he was guiding them towards the entire time. But they had this long experience of dryness and deadness and um, and and wandering and aimless uh, opinions and and provision uh, centered relationships with God. They did not experience the reason for which God had brought them out, and so we have this desert experience. And again, the struggle was not in the mind of God, but in our mind. We're the ones who refuse to bury the first from our heart. God finishes the work, 
but we see ourselves. We want to live our lives for God. We want God to live for us too. We've got all kinds of purposes for God and are not even remotely interested in his purpose for us. And so the wilderness becomes, the, the, the overlap becomes, becomes the experience. And, and here it's 40 years. It's also 40 years in, um, it's also 40 years in, in the story of Saul and David. It's also 40 years in the, um, in the, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the, when Christ was uh, crucified and, and there was a natural Israel still living in the natural land, uh, persecuting the spiritual Israel until God put away in 70 AD, put away the natural Israel by the, by the strong arm of, of Rome. Uh, at 40 years, it's kind of, and there's also, I mean, the 40 is a year that, I mean, a number that kind of seems to speak of this transition, this, the putting away of the first, the establishing of the second, 40 days of, of rain and the flood, and you could kind of go through the Old Testament and look at that. But, um, okay. Okay, I just, I just read a couple of notes. I'm trying to get some of this said a little quicker. Um, the the problem I wrote here, the problem isn't Egypt. The problem is the measure of Egypt that still works in our heart. Remember, as soon as they leave, Exodus chapter uh, 14, God says, says, stand still and see the salvation of, of the Lord because the Egyptians that you see pursuing you today, you will never see them again forever. Now, that is a true statement with respect of your putting away of sin and death and the Adamic man. And yet, just as, just, we're just like them. They never again, saw, that generation never saw Egypt again. In fact, God told them over and over again, do not go back the way of Egypt, you know. Never go back the way of Egypt. But, even though they never truly encountered Egypt again, they ne- most of them never stopped encountering Egypt on a daily basis in their soul. And they could not advance. They could not move on into a land that had absolutely nothing to do with what God had left behind. They couldn't do it. So, um, you know, Paul, in the same way Paul says, we're dead to Egypt. We're dead to sin, dead to Adam. You know, raised up, seated, made alive, hidden with Christ. And yet, what is the reality of our soul? That's the issue. So the second line in this story is the the Jordan, and you have in our diagram here um, the, the the dotted line here in the diagram is is uh, the picture of what happens at the Jordan River when there's a generation that by that by faith actually crosses over and begins to experience freedom from the reproach of Israel, freedom from the flesh. That's the first thing that happens, victory over. Uh, uh, over uncircumcised inhabitants of the land of, of your heart, you know the, the the reproach, the heart's experience of Egypt, is is it's that's what happens in us. Um, at that second line there, uh, real quick, Saul and David, same story, different details. It's the same exact thing. Um, uh, there's. I, the, the the first line in the diagram is when is when God rips away the kingdom from Saul, anoints his son. Not even his own. See, the, there's a king in the land, and not even his own brothers recognize, even though they watched him be anointed. I mean, that's kind of a picture of natural Israel, the brothers of Christ who literally watched him. You know, audible voices and and, and all, and resurrection from the dead and miracles and signs. Watched watched him, or the dove that came down on the 
the head of Jesus at his baptism, watched him be anointed of his father, declared to be the true king, and despised by his own brothers. You know, it starts like that. It starts like that in Israel. It starts like that with David. It starts like that in you. You receive a king that your soul does not recognize. You like the idea of having the king live in you, but your entire soul is contrary and hostile to his government. And so, he needs to be, he needs to be, uh, recognized. He needs to be revealed. You need to go out to him and meet him in the cave, the cave where you die and are buried with him and come out in, as one of David's mighty men of valor. You, you have to know this king, and there's only one way to meet him, to know him, you know, and, and, um, and so you see again the same. It's forty years again from the moment you know from the 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 the, the anointing of. Uh, well, let me see. Is it forty years from there, or from when he's anointed king in Hebron? Not to check on that, but uh, I think it might be Hebron. But anyway, it, it's, it's, it talks about forty years, thirty-three years overall of Israel, and seven years over Hebron. I think is what it says, but I could be wrong. Um. So, the, but at the but once again, there's two son, two. There's two sons in the same house. There's two kings in the same house, two kings in the same land. Okay, Israel, in other words, the land. In other words, you didn't understand the change. There had been a change. The prophets were talking. You know, Samuel had had, had done something in Bethlehem. You know, people were whispering. There, something had happened. It's just like when you're born again. I know something happened, but I don't really know exactly what. And what am I supposed to? Someone tell me what I'm supposed to do for Jesus. You don't really know. You don't know. I mean, you can see some things in the light. It's there, there's something real that's happened in your heart. But 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 the second has to be revealed. You know, you you can't just guess. You have to see David. You have to go out to David. You have to meet. That's what it keeps saying. And they went out to David. And you know this group were disgruntled and discontent and in debt. And they went out to David. And 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 that's how his kingdom grows. And they recognize him. They say, truly, you're the king of Israel. And yet the first persecutes the second. I love these pictures of Saul persecuting David. I already mentioned them, but. Uh, just the stupidity of the Adamic heart that tries to kill the very thing that's giving it life, uh, that's giving our soul life. You know, just we're, we're, we're suicidal in that way. We, the nature of of our flesh, tries to fight against the very gift of God working in us. It's it's unbelievable to watch that over and over again. Uh, God is declaring his son, de- declaring his David to be king, anointing him first in front of his brethren, then in Hebron, and then over all of Israel. He's anointing him. He's taking ground. But there's always these Saul followers, you know, that are throwing lances and they're demonized and they're they're uh, like like Saul was. They're they're they have unclean spirits, you know, and they 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 kind of like the, the the music, but of David. But then then all of a sudden they just grab a spear and and launch it at him. I just I like those pictures of Saul because they're just exactly like like my heart is. I mean, how many times do I say to myself, "What if I'm persecuting the, the seed of life in my own? I'm 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 fixing my eyes on dead things below and not even letting him have a soil that's 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 favorable for his increase. That's the I mean, the Spanish word uh, conducive for his increase. And and. And yet God is seeking. What's he doing in you? He's doing the same thing he did with Isaac and Ishmael. He's saying, let me take away the first in you and show you the only son that I recognize. Let me take away the first and establish in you what I've already established as my king. You know, And this takes place 
in you. Okay? Um, there's so many verses. I, I'm just going to have to skip a lot of that. Because I, I don't want to just mention... Um, let's see here. Yeah, once I just again, the, the, I want to straight stress this again in every one of these. The confusion wasn't in God's heart. The overlap didn't exist to God. Saul's rule ended in one moment and David's began. That was how it is for God's heart. That's how it is when you're born again. The overlap, the confusion was in the land, not in God. The overlap was in the land. And and eventually, the... And it's inter- Well, that's another story. But eventually, God filled up the land with David. And Saul's kingdom ended. And and David slash Solomon, his son, is recognized as as the true as the true king of choice. Well, just real quick here, the same thing happened in a historical way. Um, again, still pointing to the spiritual fulfillment in us, but the, the historical thing happened at the cross. The, the literal, I and mean, you know, again, we have the cross drawn as the first line here in this diagram, but the cross. As, as Hebrews says, made the first obsolete, made the first covenant obsolete. It ended it. You know, when did when did Israel have to stop? You know, and from God's point of view, was it no longer necessary or even appropriate to bring sacrifices to the brazen altar or to relate to God through high priests or to visit certain places? You know, with at certain times, Christ was the place of God's that God put His eyes forever and that God's heart was always towards. Christ was the appointed time, the now of of all of those feasts. Christ is the sacrifice and the brazen altar and the veil that ripped and, and opened up access to the Father. Christ was all of it. So when did that, when did that all come to place? Well, I mean, as, in case you missed it, God gives all kinds of signs and wonders showing that the first is over and the second has come. He ripped the veil from the top to the bottom. He he gave resurrection life in a, in a figurative, external way to, to people all over Israel. He filled the land with testimonies of this of this reality. He didn't wait 40 years to do it. He did it right away. And yet, there was this overlap again in Israel. How long was it? 40 years. And for a time, there were two Israels in the house. Two Israels that both of them thought that they were the true son. But only one of them was the son of promise, the son of uh, of, of faith, the son who, uh, the son who came out from among the dead, only one of them was, and God began in Israel to reveal His King, reveal His Son, and and many went out to David, many went out to this resurrected Son, and and experienced Him as the the putting away of the first and and the the establishing of the second. You know, they they found in Him the burial of Egypt, they found in Him the end of the world, they found in Him the end of well the end of the age. Is really how that's translated and how it makes sense. They found in Christ the end of the age of types and shadows. They faced it in him because it was established in him. And yet there was many who didn't. Many in the first Israel did not. And the most did not. And they persecuted the first. And for 40 years, God was raised just like he did in, in the wilderness. He was raising up a new Israel and putting away the old Israel. 
Remember he said, your children will go in, those under 20 years of age. They will go into the land and experience the things I promised the fathers, and you won't. So one Israel was dying, another was being raised up and entering in, and it's the exact same thing that happened in between 30 and 70 AD. And then in 70 AD, there was this manifestation, just like when God said about Ishmael, kick him out. He has no inheritance. You know, he's not the right son. God said the exact same thing to natural Israel. Natural Israel, you have you have rejected your Messiah, as Jesus says. I think it's like in Luke 19. These things will come upon you because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. Your city will be surrounded. Your your temple will be torn down. Not one stone. The people will be slain by the edge of the sword. Weep, don't weep for me. Weep for the mothers of Israel and all that stuff that he says. He says that because there is a again another natural manifestation of of. Um, of, of this overlap period where God is causing Israel, the true Israel, to live in, in what he has finished at the cross. And then God is taking away from his, his sight, taking away from the earth, the things that were only ever pictures of that perfect fulfillment. So, um, again, I'll say the last couple sentences, I know I'm out of time. This is interesting historically, but it's not important historically. It's important in you. I mean, it's it's cool. It's always cool to see how all these types of shadows line up, how they all testify to the same thing, how they all point pictures to the same reality. But it's not important as history. It's not important as theology. It's important that you, yeah, that your soul experience the revelation of the true King and face in yourself. That your soul go out to David. And find yourself to be disgruntled, discontent, and in debt. And find in him the true king and governor and, and, and king of your soul. And let the Lord enlarge the boundaries of his territory in you. That 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 his finished work would become um, your present experience in reality. That's why this is important. I, I say that, I emphasize that because... It, it, Sometimes the, the, the testimony is so beautiful, you know, how it lines up so, so perfectly. It, it lines up with the stories are just, they're so, they're so amazing. How, you know, how did I miss that? These stories are all the same. And we could have listed another five of them, at least I think that I know of, that do the same thing with this story. But don't, don't be distracted by, by that to such a degree that you miss the fact that, that uh, the only reason these things were testified to in Scripture and in history and in time is because their true fulfillment must take place in you. So, okay, I'll stop with that.